Well, we continue our fall sermon series this morning in uh, the sermons of the minor prophets. And uh, in many ways, they are sermons, both in what they say and in their life. And uh, again, as I'm saying most weeks, minor prophets, they aren't minor in that they're unimportant compared to major prophets like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel. Uh, They're minor simply because uh, they are relatively short. If you were with us last week, we were in Obadiah, which is the shortest book in the Old Testament. Uh, We are in Jonah today, and it's not much bigger either. In fact, if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to Jonah. You know Jonah, Jonah and the whale. That's right. I think... um, I think we should pray because, Chris, that was perfectly timed in, in a perfect way, my friend. No, um, Jonah and, and the fish, uh, Jonah and the whale. I don't know what comes to your mind. I was joking with my kids. You know, I have like, I don't remember what story it is. It's definitely not like a Bible cartoon, but I have some cartoon story in my mind of some cartoon character in a whale lighting a fire and like barbecuing. What is that? Does anybody remember? Pinocchio? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so here's the problem. Like, we come to Jonah, and, and I, take a look at the screen. Uh, this is from just the very, like, opening paragraph of the ESV Bible. Some Bibles have just, you know, a simple word of introduction. Uh, and, and so, I don't know if your ESV has this, but this is the opening intro paragraph. You can read it with me. Because it tells of a fish swallowing a man, many have dismissed the book of Jonah as fiction. And boom, I just think we need to say that right up front because maybe, again, you're thinking Pinocchio, but, but many think that, oh, this, this is just an allegory. This is just, you know, something to teach uh, another point. Um, but the problem, as whoever the editors are of this little blurb, go on to point out, 2 Kings 14.25 mentions Jonah as a historical living person during the time of Jeroboam II. So that gives you then the dating there, about 793 to 753 BC. But more importantly, and I want to camp on this, and we're going to keep coming back to this actually today, Jesus, Jesus referred to Jonah, not as some allegory, not as just a parable, but as a historical person. Um, Let me just read this uh, for you. This is from Matthew 12. 39 to 41. But Jesus answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet, Jonah. Historical person. Not the story of Jonah, but the prophet, Jonah. Verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, as we'll see in a minute, that's where Jonah was called to. The men of Nineveh, Jesus said, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, historical person, Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. You might recall that phrase when we were in the book of Hebrews. That was The underlying theme, something greater has come than Jonah, than Moses, than Abraham, than the Old Covenant, than the law, than the temple. 
It's, it's none other than Jesus. And so Jesus himself refers to Jonah as a historical person. And then the last sentence on the screen, unlike other prophetic books, Jonah is unique, and that has to do with the focus of this prophet really on himself rather than on his message. Uh, and so that's what we're going to see uh, this morning. And, and yet, unlike all of the other prophets, even though Jonah, from one vantage point, is the central character, really this is about God. This little book, this little minor prophet, is about a sovereign God who loves and wants people to repent and is free to call whomever he wants to repentance, including some of his people's enemies, and in loving people and being gracious like we just sang about and full of mercy, he calls people like Jonah, like you and me, to go and to proclaim that, that message. Uh, the book of Jonah, the, uh, the, the minor prophet of Jonah, um, has a simple outline, and it really follows uh, the four uh, chapter divisions. Um, and so chapter one is um, Jonah being called to preach judgment against Nineveh. And that's not only about this city, um, but actually he's supposed to go there. Um, and he responds by going completely in the opposite direction, like literally 180 degrees uh, in the opposite direction. Um, and God, of course, I think if you know the story, we're going to read through it, the whole thing in a minute, but God has sent a storm. Jonah's thrown overboard. Uh, he's rescued miraculously by God with this large fish. And that's chapter one. Chapter two, Jonah responds in prayer, and there, it's a prayer of thanksgiving for his rescue. Um, and then chapter three, Jonah goes to Nineveh, and, um, and there's amazing results. The Ninevites repent, and, and God relents his judgment because they repented. And then chapter four, Jonah praises the Lord. No, that's where we want it to go. And yet that's what makes Jonah powerful too because it's a revealing of our hearts. Jonah is anger, angry. Um, he's angry that God did what he said. And uh, then there's an object lesson in there for Jonah. And, and, and Jonah ends with this question sort of unanswered, at least in terms of the, the book, um, related to God um, and so forth. And, and so really that's again kind of a generic overview of, of this this prophet, um, this, this prophet called by God, again, as I said, to go to his enemies. Um, Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9 say that the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. That could be a summary psalm of the, the book of Jonah. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna see that, um, but it's also, uh, and, we, and I want us to kind of keep this next thought sort of ho hovering in our head, um, jumping into the New Testament, a verse that you know, John three sixteen and seventeen, for God so loved the world, including those in Nineveh, Jonah, that God gave His only Son, that whoever would believe in Him should not perish but have eternal life or everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world when, when he came to be the savior. He didn't come to condemn, but that the world might be saved through him. And so because 
God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and because he loved the world that he gave his son, then we, his people, have this commission. Jesus said to them, this is to his followers, just before his ascension, after the resurrection, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And you see, I underlined that. That that simply means help people begin and grow in following me. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. And that's the main verb, make disciples. Tell people about me, help them begin and grow as followers of me. Make disciples of of all nations. And and you're going to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You're going to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so that's the mission of every Christian. That should be the mission of every church. Make disciples. And so um, that that is what we are going to um, find in this. But I, I want to read through it. And so if you have your Bible, either open the paper form or a digital form, uh, follow along as I read through Jonah. Jonah 1, 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it, to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down inside the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not 
on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breadth, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said had said he would do to them and he did not do it. But it displeased God. Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please 
Take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. quite a story. It's quite uh, a tale. Um, and, and I like these three words that I've put on the screen. I mean, you've just heard the whole thing. Now, what was that, 13 or so minutes? I'm not exactly sure. Um, and there's, again, big themes, God's sovereignty. How many times did God appoint something? And was he at work? Uh, but Mike Kruger, uh, we've been reading Mike's book um, for our surviving, um, well, the surviving religion book for our Sunday Night Theology. He comments on uh, on Jonah, that um, three words can help be, they're memorable, okay, as you hear them, and they can help you kind of keep one of the main points of, of this prophet. And, and so the words, existence, resistance, and persistence. And these all center around the call of God. The call of God that's at play in this book. Now, again, his sovereignty is over all of it, okay, to choose and do what he wants, to appoint, to be merciful okay, as, he, as he wants, and to call a prophet to do something. And, and, and so we have the existence of a call, the resistance of a call, and then God's persistence to that call. And so I want to use those three words and, and now kind of go back and comment on and draw out some application for us today, living a long way away from uh, Tarshish and Nineveh, and, uh, and so on. Look back at chapter one, the opening three verses. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish so that he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. 
So just in those opening words, we, we find uh, this, this call of God, this existence of a call. And like other prophets, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and, uh, and his call is to go to his enemies. Now, we, we don't catch it necessarily in here. Nineveh was from, from Jonah's location all the way to the northeast in Assyria. And the Assyrians, well, um, they were not friendly people, um, and they were definitely not uh, friends of, of God's people. I was trying to think, you know, it might be kind of like God calling um, someone in Ukraine and saying, go to Russia, go, go to Putin and, and declare to him. And I, I don't think the Ukrainian person would like that, that call. Um, you know, and we kind of experience that right now if we're keeping up on events in the world. Like, there's kind of a bit of hostility between these, these people. Um, the Assyrians were evil. They were wicked. And, and what's striking, God's not, uh, th- this call is for them to repent of their evil. Um, they, they will still be judged, and, and, but there's, it's going to be delayed if they respond to this, okay? So Jonah has a very specific call. It's not even a call to come and follow Yahweh. It's a call to repent of the evil they've done and, and so on. But it's the word of the Lord that comes to Jonah. It's, it's a calling that he has. Uh, again, we can miss it in the English, but notice verse two, God says, arise. And then in the Hebrew, if you look at verse three, I mean, we have English. I don't think any of you are reading Hebrew. Um, in English, verse three says, but Jonah rose. So the word rose is the same as arise. So God said, arise, go to Nineveh. And Jonah rose and literally goes the other direction. If, if Nineveh in Assyria was up in the northeast, he was heading southwest, okay? And he goes to flee to this place, Tarshish. And notice that it's listed there three or four times, again, just to make the point. I mean, he was going literally the other direction, away from the presence of the Lord. And that's even stated. So this port city of Joppa, he gets on a ship, pays his fare, and I mean, he is trying his best to, to not take part in this call. Um, but there's a call, this, this calling that God has, has put on to, to Jonah. And again, just for us to pause for a minute, um, what has God called us to in life? Just to think about that for a second. Um, I was thinking right away, I think of some of the verses in the New Testament that speak of the will of God. This is the will of God for you. That, that's a calling, and so if you're a Christian here this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says that the will of God is our, I'm going to put myself in it too, it's our sanctification, which means our holiness. God's will, God's call on us is to become more like him, which is fascinating because on the one hand, he's got to do the work, just like he does all the work to save us and ours is a response his grace and to the offer of the gospel. So he does all the work in sanctifying us and making us holy, but, but we cooperate. We cooperate when, 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 when he convicts us of, of some attitude or some heart thought or, or something. Ours is to thank him for that and, and to repent and, and, and cooperate and grow and, and so forth. So, so that's God's call on our life, uh, most definitely. Uh, a bunch of us have vocational callings. Um, that's a gift from the Reformation, actually, that um, the Reformers helped people see that it isn't just vocational 
ministers or missionaries, you know, that have been called, but, but the teacher and the homemaker and the engineer and, and whatever, like those, those can in fact be callings of God. So maybe you are clear on your calling. Maybe you're still trying to figure it out. A bunch of you that are students, um, you're probably starting to enjoy and not enjoy certain subjects and start to wonder, how am I wired? What's, what's my call in my life? Um, and maybe you're a bit older and you're figuring it out and, and some people have multiple callings in their life and that's fine too. Um, we do all have the calling to share the gospel. This is the passage I had on the screen a few minutes ago. Make disciples. That is the call of every Christian. Because, let me just go backwards in those verses I put, because God so loved the world that he sent his son. So because he did that, he works through means, and that includes us, to be good newsers, people that, that express who God is, what he's done, who Jesus was, to be people that tell of his work in our life and, and share our testimonies, our stories, and, and that point to what God has done. We have that calling upon us too. It, it's a calling that exists. And God is sovereign in all these areas. And these are just three, our sanctification, holiness, our vocational calling in, in sharing uh, the gospel. Um, we, we have that as well. Um, so if you look at the screen, Monday night, uh, my brother and uh, Ginger and Calvin, that's the four of us, if you can see, uh, we were enjoying what you as a church gave me for my 49th birthday, that game, um, which was Monday night, and they won. If you didn't know that, how dare you? Um, and so to be at the game, that's right, and we were chanting that, Chris, like you can't believe, and, um, and we just had a great time, and uh, there's another shot of me and the kids afterwards. Um, it was, it was a blast. And so let me just tell you, the next day, um, I mean, I typically every day have something 49er on, but uh, so I did the next day, and boy, people everywhere I was walking, hey, that was a great game last night. Yep, I was there. And oh, yeah, and we just talked it up. And if you're a Niner fan, boy, it was easy. It was easy to talk about that good news. We beat LA. We, we own the Rams in regular season games. And uh, and on and on and on and on and on I can go, but that's a digression except to make this point. It's easy to talk about things we're excited about. It was the easiest thing on Monday to get my coffee and tell the barista, yep, I'm driving down to Levi Stadium tonight. And it was easy on Tuesday to talk about the Niners and their win. It was easy. I was excited about it. Am I excited? that the God of the universe loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me and live the perfect life that I can't live and then died in my place? Because if, if I was excited about it, I, it seems like I would talk about it more. And I'm convicted of this. I mean, I'm literally using this as an illustration in my life. As I read Jonah this week, this existence of, of a call, um, it should be easy to talk about the Lord, but it's not for me. I don't know about you. I was remembering this week, too, the story from 1956. Not many of us were around then. Uh, some of us might have been, but I think many of us know this story. January 8, 1956, five Anka Indians of Ecuador 
killed missionaries, Jim Elliott and his companions there. These, these young men had gone because they were excited about the gospel and they wanted to tell this tribe in Ecuador that probably hadn't heard about Jesus. Um, and they were killed. And it, of course, made the news and it was a big deal. Um, Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth Elliott, she would write about it and write about the tragedy. And then she, she is the one that wrote these, these famous words. Two years later, um, her book was called Shadow of the Almighty, The Life and Testament of Jim Elliott. And, and again, some of you will know these words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And she's speaking there about giving away the gospel, giving away the good news uh, of the person and work of Jesus and his renown and his fame, to give it away in order to gain what you can't lose. And, and Jim Elliot would, would give his life in proclaiming that message. And if you don't know the story, it's remarkable. Um, Elizabeth Elliot and others would go back to this tribe and, and God called those same uh, Anka Indians to Christ. And, um, and it's a remarkable story. Um, you should read, read about it sometime if you never have. So the existence of a calling. But the problem is, not only is there this existence of a calling, but um, there's resistance. I said that's the second word that Kruger mentions, and I think it's good for us to see it. And we see it right in these opening verses. Jonah resisted this calling, and, and he did everything he could to not go to his enemies. Um, and so, you know, again, why did Jonah resist? Um, and again, we're kind of starting to ask them, why do we resist our calling to make disciples? I've already touched on it, um, firstly, because uh, these were his enemies. I mean, he, he probably literally hated them. Uh, and again, the closest analogy I could come up with would be for uh, Ukrainians to, to maybe think about Russians these days, okay? But there's other peoples that you could maybe come up with too, but, but it was risky. It was dangerous. And not only from afar, but, but he was supposed to go there. So that was one reason he resisted. Um, of course, another reason is it's inconvenient often when God calls us to do things. I mean, this call on Jonah meant that he had to go and get out of his comfort zone and go somewhere he didn't know. Um, he probably believed it was futile, that it wouldn't work. The, the, the Assyrians, the Ninevites, they're God's enemies. God, why do you want me to tell them to repent? They don't like you. Why would they listen to me? It's futile, God. Why should I go? Um, another reason, um, again, is, is it requires loving people that we don't love. Not only dangerous, but, but loving people we don't love. And we can resist God's call make disciples for all the same reasons. It is inconvenient to talk to people <laughs> sometimes about the gospel. It takes effort. Um, I was telling a few people recently, I think, I can't remember if this came up at Sunday Night Theology or, or some discussion after that, but um, like, like right now, we, we didn't meet this last time uh, for, because of scheduling and different things, but, but as we get ready to meet in a few weeks, we're going to finish up the Kruger book. And the last chapters of his book, Surviving Religion 101, mostly are about the Bible, about the reliability of the scriptures and the gospels and the trustworthiness, which, again, just as a little pause, 
right? If the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if, if those are trustworthy and if their account of the life and person of Jesus is true, then by the way, that means we can trust Jesus who believed Jonah was a historical person. <laughs> and, you know, in fact, back to the fish thing, um, I don't think we need to try to solve it scientifically. You know, is it possible that a person could stay alive? God did a miracle. God did a miracle. The same God that created out of nothing that spoke and the world created. Same God who does miracles and we have it recorded in the scriptures. The same God in the person of Jesus who would do miracles. The same God who would raise Jesus on the third day. I don't know. I don't think we need to worry about a scientific explanation. God appointed a fish. The fish swallowed Jonah. And whether he passed out, God miraculously kept him alive. And on the third day, he was spit out. And he probably looked pretty gross. But we don't need to, I don't think we need to get hung up. Is that possible scientifically? Well, no. It's a miracle. Back to the Gospels. If they're reliable, Jesus talked about it. I think we, again, all of that. My, my point is to say, it can, be, it can take effort for us to, to take the time to read, to understand some of the facts about Jesus, about the evidence for the Gospels, the evidence for the resurrection, um, but if we invest the time, that, that will go a long way when we encounter people. Um, so anyway, we resist the call of God because it can be inconvenient. Um, sometimes we don't talk to people, we resist because we think it's futile. I, I, probably the top five people in my life that I would love for God to save and to draw to himself, if I'm honest, one of the reasons I don't talk to them more about it is because I just think it's futile. They've heard it enough. They got too many other things they're doing. They just don't give a care. And, and maybe those things are all true. But God has still put a calling on me to make disciples and to, to go to people. But, but sometimes I, I think it's futile. Um, I, don't, I don't typically think it's risky or dangerous, at least those people. But there might be people that need to hear, and it might be risky and dangerous for them. And again, sometimes too, it might be that we don't talk because we, we don't love people. And it's, or those that we don't love, we don't talk to. So we resist. But then finally, God persists. And that's what you see in this, this book. God will persist in, with his calling. And again, Jonah's unique. Um, God's not going to do something like this to every one of us. God doesn't need me save these people that I'm thinking of. He could use someone else, but man, I sure'd love to be part of it. But, but God persists. And with this calling, God persists. And he's not going to put up with Jonah's shenanigans. Um, you know, it's interesting. The way God pursues Jonah. Notice, notice two things. Um, but back in chapter one, look at verse four. So, so there's been the existence of a calling, uh, Jonah's resistance. But look at verse 4 as we start to see the persistence. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. So one of the things, as I said, within this story, this account, is, is the sovereignty of God. God hurls a wind, he appoints a fish, he appoints the sun, he appoints a worm, right, all over it might very well be that God in his persistence of us obeying the call that he has upon us, 
He'll, he'll bring providential circumstances, because that's what this was, providential circumstances. From, from the, Jonah's point of view and the sailors, this great wind comes out of nowhere. But it wasn't out of nowhere to the Lord. In this account, he hurled it. It was a, a providential circumstance. Now, it doesn't mean everything that goes on is God providentially bringing a circumstance to get our attention, but, but might it be sometimes? Sometimes things are happening and we need to stop and say, Lord, are you speaking to me in this? Are you trying to get my attention? And he might be, but do we, do we pause long enough to ask? The, the other is then he brings people. So jump to verse six. So he's on the boat and this you know, great stuff is happening. They, they throw off cargo and so forth. Look at verse 6. And of course, remember, Jonah's asleep, trying his best to ignore God. Resist that calling. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? And look at the word, arise. There it is again. God told Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. Jonah arose and tried to flee. And now God brings this pagan sailor, captain, to him, and, and he speaks a word of truth. What are you doing? Get up. And you know that word would have, like, that's, that's what God said to me, arise. Now this pagan captain is saying that, that same word. So it might be sometimes that God will use people to speak to us about our resistance to his calling because God is persisting in us, fulfilling his calling. Again, I, I, I would invite you this week to read through Jonah again. It's so short. And just, just note the places where, where God's sovereignty is dictating every circumstantial thing that happens and how God persists in making sure Jonah goes to the Ninevites to, to give that word. And again, the, the story is wonderful. Jonah goes reluctantly, but he finally does go. And then he, it's, I, I didn't comment along the way, but did you notice there? After he does, then he goes up on the hill, and again, he's, he's still skeptical, and he's hoping they're going to get zapped and blasted, and they don't, and he's, that's why he's angry. And, and so again, that, that, that heart stuff, God is full of grace and loving kindness and mercy, and Jonah, this prophet, there was a call that existed, and yet he resisted it, um, but God was persistent in making sure the call came. I want to end, though, by borrowing um, a line that I say every now and then, um, but it, it's, it's Tim Keller who's sort of famous for, for this line. Jesus is the true and better Jonah. And I want to just end by focusing on that for a moment. Now, we've already noted how Jesus identifies directly with, just as Jonah was in the fish, so the son of man will be in, in the earth. And I tell you, something greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus is already, I mean, he said it essentially before Tim Keller, but, but Jesus is and said that he was the true and better Jonah. But, but think with me for a minute. Not only did Jesus obey perfectly the call of God to seek and save the lost, Luke 19.10, Not only did Jesus um, come to um, give his life on the cross as a ransom, and and thus, I love this, 
Jesus, he was cast out into the ultimate storm, the storm of God's wrath, give that life as a ransom so that we could be brought in. Jonah was thrown overboard for his own sin, but Jesus on the cross is thrown into the ultimate storm for our sin. And Jesus is able to save his followers from that ultimate storm because of going to that. And so I come back to, again, this this verse. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So as we learn from this prophet, and that's, that's part of what makes Jonah unique too, right? It's, it's, it's an account of a prophet's dealing with the call of God, the, the existence, resistance, and persistence of a call, but it, it's made to be history that we learn some lessons from, and, and so it does have these teaching points that, that come out of it. And so we, we look and we go, God, thank you for Jesus, the true and better Jonah. God, thank you for your grace that has come into my life. And ultimately, when we fail, when we fail to obey the call of God on our life, go and make disciples, or the call in sanctification, the call in our vocations, um, we have Jesus, we have grace, we, we have mercy. Um, he's our living hope because he came. So let's pray, church, and let's sing about that living hope this morning before we dismiss. So Father, Thank you for Jonah, this, this story that many of us know. And honestly, Lord, it's a story that the world ridicules because of this whole fish piece. And, and God, on the one hand, I pray that we wouldn't get caught up in that, um, whether or not it's scientifically feasible for someone to stay alive uh, in a fish. God, you, as we heard all throughout You were sovereignly at work in Jonah, in in his life, in um, your your call on him to go. And and so you did what needed to be done. And God, um, you'll do that in our life too. And I pray that we wouldn't be stubborn like Jonah. I pray we would be humble and obey and follow you. But we thank you for the grace that exists. And Lord, may, may we, because of that grace, that exists and the the grace that we've experienced through Jesus, our living hope, may may that compel us to go out on mission to tell people about you when it's difficult, when we don't think it's going to amount to much, but to be obedient. Would you help us to that end, I pray, Lord, now in Jesus' name.